0: all very much for the warm welcome. It has been a delight for me to be here these past uh, three weeks, ministering God's word to you all. It has uh, been a joy to reconnect with several of you and to meet many of you afresh as well. Thanks to the elders and to Pastor Aaron for the opportunity to bring God's word to you all these past several weeks. If you got a handout as you walked in, would you pull that out, please? It's got all the verses that I'm going to be dealing with and a few annotations there that might help you to follow along. And as you pull that out let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father we are privileged to come before you as a corporate body and worship you. It's a privilege that we do not take for granted and we are grateful for this country and its leaders for the freedoms that we enjoy. We are thankful For your goodness that keeps running after us. And as we look into the story of a man who was very attuned and aware of your chasing goodness. Teach us also to be likewise. Expecting and anticipating your goodness to surround us at all times. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This apparently happened in Florida. A guy was working on his motorcycle on his patio trying to rev the machine and to get it just right. But somehow it accidentally slipped into gear and before he knew what was happening, the bike went right through the patio window dragging him along into the dining room. Hearing the loud voices, his wife runs in from the kitchen to see her husband on the floor, glass and blood all over, dining room was a wreck, chairs, tables, all strewn everywhere, motorcycle parts, gasoline. She called 911. couple lived on a hill, and so the wife ran down the steep flight of steps and flagged the ambulance as it came by. The EMTs went up, cleaned up the guy, carried him into the ambulance. They assured the good lady that it looked like there was nothing broken, neither did it look like he had any threatening injuries, he just needed a bunch of stitches, so she stayed at home. Feeling dejected, she did what women are exceptionally good at, cleaning up the messes that their husbands make. (laughs) She swept up the stuff, the gasoline on the floor, she sopped onto some bounty towels and threw those smelly paper towels into the bathroom commode and continued her cleansing operations. Now, the guy was ready to come home in a few hours. His parents picked him up, brought him home. He entered. He saw the disaster he had caused with his own stupidity. He felt terrible. He had messed up his bike, the dining room, the carpet. He felt so despondent. He walked to the bathroom, sat on the toilet, and lit a cigarette. And after he was done, he flicked the still-lit butt into the the ball whoosh, flames everywhere. The wife comes running, the man's clothes are on fire, severe burns on sensitive parts of his anatomy. The wife calls 911 again. <laughs> and the same crew shows up. <laughs> they couldn't believe it. They went up the steps, gathered our charred man and started with him down the steps uh, into the ambulance. And as it was going down, one of the emergency techs, techs asked the wife what had happened, she explained. And the guy carrying the front end of the gurney started laughing so hard, he had dropped his end, our burnt f- end, tumbled out of the gurney, down the steps, and broke his ankle. <laughs> Have you had days like that? <laughs> How do you survive days like this? Days of darkness. Maybe, maybe for you, for some of you, it's not just days. It's been years, whole seasons perhaps, problems at home, at work, school, in in church. How do we get blessed by God in the middle of these dark days? How do we get through these days? This morning from the story of Joseph in Genesis 39, we'll see, how and why he was blessed in the midst of his dark, bleak days. And we'll see how God wants us to make it through these dark days, blessed by him. How to prosper under God. So here we are, Genesis 39. Let me summarize the story for you real quickly. Joseph was his father's favorite, preferred over his dozen siblings, And if that wasn't bad enough, he had had a couple of dreams that showed him ruling over the family, so so this dude was not very popular with his brothers, to say the least. And they, treacherous snakes that they were, decide to wipe him out. At the last minute, realizing that a warm body is worth more than a cold corpse, they keep him alive and heartlessly sell him off to some passing traveling merchants, and Joseph Ends up in Egypt. A slave. 17 years old. A slave. Far from home. Far from familiar surroundings. Enslaved. For no fault of his own. Crushed. Extinguished. But look at this. 39 verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. At the most depressing time of his life, in his dark, dark days, Joseph is being blessed by God. And again in verse 3. Now his master, the slave owner, saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. This was clearly a blessed man. In one of the darkest of his days, God is just pouring it on. And there's more, four and five. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he became his personal servant, the slave owner's, And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his Joseph's charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in the house and in the field. More blessings. God's just letting it overflow. This 17-year-old's bad times are over. Hurrah! Wrong. Verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. As those profound philosophers, the Beatles, the sages of our time put it. Well, he was 17. (laughs) You know what I mean. And the way he looked was way beyond compare. That's the closest they ever got to the Bible. (laughs) At any rate, the Egyptian's wife takes a liking to Joseph. He refuses to be seduced. She screams, rape! And the poor guy gets thrown in jail. Not a good day. Just when we figured he might make it through those tough times, just when, he, when we thought he was going to move out of those dark days, wham, he's hit again. He was a slave before, now he's an imprisoned slave. Incarcerated, falsely accused, condemned, no hearing, no trial, no judge, no appeal. Hopeless. He's going nowhere. Stuck in jail. Lost. God except for one thing at the bottom verse 21 in the same chapter 39 and 21 but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer what blessed again This guy now is not just in the dark days, he's in the darkest of his days. You can't fall any lower. And we're told that God's blessing Joseph again? And verse 23. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Did you notice something here? The similarity of the wording between these first and last sections of Genesis 39 is striking and I have circled and underlined some words to make it a little bit more obvious with you. God is with Joseph in slavery. God is with Joseph in jail. God prospers Joseph in slavery. God prospers Joseph in jail. God lets the guy find favor with the slave owner. God lets the guy find flavor with the chief jailer. Joseph is left in charge of everything in the slave owner's house. Joseph is left in charge of everything in the jail. He's blessed through and through, left and right. Blessed in slavery. Blessed in jail. Blessed enslaved. Blessed and imprisoned subjugated in slavery, God blesses him. Shoved into prison, God blesses him there too. Oh, and another interesting thing about this narrative, in the entire story of Joseph, in the whole story, only in this chapter, only here, do we have God's covenant name Yahweh found. That's translated in English, the word Lord within the small cap. Nowhere else but in this chapter eight times and at two distinct clusters in this chapter. Guess where in this chapter Yahweh shows up at either end. At the beginning in verses 2, 3, and 5. And at the other end in verse 21 and twice in verse 23. At either end of the chapter where Joseph had been slapped around, scourged, stomped upon. There's Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. And where Yahweh is, there is blessing. Enslaved, God's blessings cover Joseph. Imprisoned, God's blessings cocoon him. God's blessings are certain despite the darkness and direness of the situation. No matter where Joseph was, in slavery or in jail, God's blessings were certain, assured, guaranteed. Because, you see, there is no pit so deep that God's blessings cannot penetrate. There is no night so dark that God's blessings cannot enlighten. There is no situation so bankrupt that God's blessings cannot engrace. So how do we get to experience God's blessings in these dark days? Trials are certain in life. No question. Trouble will catch up with us. That is indisputable. Expecting the world to treat you fairly because you're a good person is like expecting the bull not to charge because you're a vegetarian. <laughs> Doesn't happen. So, what can we do to ensure God's blessings in our lives in our dark days? Why did God do this for Joseph? How come God blessed Joseph in such a lavish fashion? God's blessings, remember, are concentrated at the two ends of this chapter, in the most calamitous of his dark circumstances. And the way the author tells the story, he is clearly making a point. The reason for Joseph's blessing. The condition for prospering under God in darkness is found in the middle of Genesis 39, sandwiched between those affirmations of God's blessings. The center of the chapter explains God's blessings upon Joseph at either end of Genesis 39. So let's look at the middle, 39, 7 through 9. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God. This is nothing but absolute commitment, total loyalty to God. How could Joseph be so loyal and committed? Wasn't this the God that allowed him to be thrown into a pit, left for dead, sold to slave traders? Had he forgotten? Wasn't this the God who put him in the slave owner's house? allowing that compromising situation, had he forgotten? For that matter, wasn't it this God who made him good-looking, an attractive target for a scheming predator? Had he forgotten? And did he not comprehend the hopelessness of his situation? And didn't he realize that this lady's attraction to him was a golden opportunity to move ahead. Some sexual favors granted, maybe some blackmail. With some finesse, hey, he could move up that corporate ladder in Egypt. After all, one must move ahead at all costs. Anything to get ahead. Didn't Joseph know that? Wasn't he concerned about his future? Most people would call Joseph a fool for not recognizing such a potentially invaluable break. But not Joseph. This man had forgotten his disasters. He was not thinking of his brother's stretch away his deplorable captivity or that horrible mess that he had now been manipulated into. He had forgotten all that. He wasn't brooding about what had happened. He had forgotten his injustices. He wasn't moping about what might have been. He had forgotten the past. And in a sense, this fool fool, had also forgotten his future. He wasn't strategizing a move up the ladder. He wasn't scheming to get ahead by manipulating anyone. He wasn't parlaying his attraction into a fancy position in the palace. He had absolutely no political eye for his career. In other words, Joseph had forgotten his past and he had forgotten his future. He was simply concerned with the present. And all he wanted to do in the present was to be loyal to God, fruitful in obedience. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? His focus was singular, concentrated, one track, being fruitful now, forgetful of the past, forgetful of the future. Joseph was intent upon remaining fruitful in the present. Loyal to God. Producing the fruit of obedience. Committed to God's standards. Committed to God's rule. Committed to God's reputation. Committed to God. So how can we too experience the blessings of God irrespective of our dark days? Be forgetful, number one. Be fruitful, number two. Be forgetful be fruitful. The truth of Genesis 39 is that God's blessings are assured for the believer even in the pits of life if we are forgetful of past and future, if we remain fruitful in present commitment and loyalty to God. Years after all this happens, Joseph is exalted by a series of incredible events to the prime ministership of Egypt, second only to the pharaoh. He begins life anew. He marries and has two children. Look at the names that he gives his kids. Genesis 41 at the bottom of your handout. They confirm for us how Joseph was assured of God's blessings. 41-51. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget All my trouble and my father's household. God has made me forget. Be forgetful. Thirteen years Joseph spent in slavery and jail. Forgotten. Over a decade of oppression. Forgotten. Ten plus years of maltreatment and persecution. Manasseh. Forgotten forgotten the resentment and grief of the past, forgotten those feelings of frustration and anger and revenge. The other day, a gentleman with the fancy name of Guy Boos, that name should cause us to cock an eyebrow right there, in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, got frustrated with his washing machine. It ticked him off big time. So he pushed it down a flight of steps, stood it against the wall of his neighbor's garage, took a gun, and blasted the living suds out of it. (laughs) Must have felt sweet. Take that, you stupid machine. I'll fix you for agitating me and not my clothes. He blasted his washer away last September, but it's taken several months now for the case to come up through the justice system's wash. Spin, rinse cycles. (laughs) A judge in Chippewa County spared Mr. Booz from any jail time and put him on probation for two years, ordering him not to possess any firearms or consume alcohol. Surprisingly, at least to me, there was no mention of not having any unsupervised contact with household appliances. (laughs) (laughs) Now, although I don't like folks assassinating, their household gadgets in my neighborhood. I kind of like his style. He did what most of us have only fantasized about, settling the score with a misbehaving mechanical device. (laughs) Guy Boos took troubleshooting to a new level. (laughs) But in the big picture, what does one gain from that kind of frustration, anger, and revenge? obsession with the past. It will not put us in a place to experience God's blessings. Instead, we must be forgetful, trusting God to handle it all, forget the past, forget the future, because like Joseph, we trust God's timetable. We trust God to work in the present. We trust God's sovereignty instead of wallowing in our own helplessness. No doubt there are probably some here whose sufferings have exceeded Joseph's 13 years. Oppression, mistakes, regrets, our own stupidity, folly, constantly haunting us. But because God is faithful, we can forget the dread of the past and the uncertainty of the future. Because he loves, we can forget the the horrors of yesteryear and the dimness of tomorrow. Be forgetful. Forget how things have been in the past. Forget how things are going to be in the future. Instead, our call is to live in the present. And notice the name of Joseph's second son, chapter 41, verse 52 at the bottom of your handout. He named the second Ephraim. For, he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me fruitful. Be fruitful. No matter where he was, no matter how adverse his environment, no matter how dark his days, Joseph chose to remain fruitful and we too are called to be fruitful here and now wherever you are whatever your circumstances be fruitful by living a life of obedience life of loyalty that glorifies god that bears the fruit of obedience even in the land of our affliction being fruitful in the present is at the very least a call to integrity an imperative to be Christ-like, like like Joseph was. A recent survey by Reader's Digest revealed that 63% of us call in sick when not ill. 60% have taken office supplies home for personal use. 40% have illegally downloaded music and other software. 70% have broken the speed limit. 70% of students admit to some form of academic cheating. And in the last 12 months, one in three of us have either watched an X-rated movie, visited a club with scantily clad dancers, or purchased sexually explicit books or magazines. One in three. Lack of integrity. Unfruitfulness. Instead we need to let integrity be the hallmark of our loyalty. Of our fruitfulness in the present. I don't know what sin you are toying with or that lingers in your life. I know mine. I want us to let it go. If you need help, seek it with trusted friends, pastors, elders, right here at Dallas Bible. Because we're called to be fruitful. Live a life of loyal obedience now. Bill Cowher coached the Pittsburgh Steelers for 15 seasons. Cowher is the only He's only the second coach in NFL history to lead his team to the playoffs in each of his first six seasons as head coach. In 95, at the age of 38, he became the youngest coach to lead his team to a Super Bowl. One thing that made Bill Cahor effective was his focus on the present. When he's at the game, he lives for the game. And after every game, every practice, he goes straight home to be with his family, focused on the now. Mr. Cowher is so focused that one afternoon, he was seated next to a woman at a civic luncheon honoring the Steelers, and he politely asked the lady sitting next to him, Ma'am, what do you do? The woman, Sophie Masloff, responded, I'm the mayor of Pittsburgh. (laughs) Now it's probably a good idea to know who the mayor of Pittsburgh is is if you are the coach of the Steelers. But Coach Cowher demonstrates one essential truth to believers. Focus on the present and being fruitful for God here and now. The past is secondary. The future is secondary. We must be fruitful in the present, single-mindedly, with focus. So how can we experience the blessings of God in our dark days? Be forgetful, be fruitful. And you can be assured of God's blessings, irrespective of situation, even in those bleak times. Now the lesson of Genesis 39 is not... That God will take you out of those trials and tribulations. That will come one day as we graduate on to our eternal rewards. Remember, even Joseph did not get out of jail immediately. But even in slavery and in jail, he experienced tangible blessings and prospered under God. So the lesson of this chapter is that for the child of God, for the believer in Jesus Christ, right here and right now, there are God's blessings assured for us if we are forgetful and fruitful as Joseph was. Now, I don't know what form or shape those blessings will take in the midst of your dark days. Perhaps it will be the finding of favor with persecutors as Joseph did. Perhaps it will be the blessings of productivity as Joseph enjoyed. Perhaps it will be the blessings of incredible inner peace through and in your dark days. God may not take those dark days away, but he will bless you so that you can go through those dark days triumphant. In the summer of 1851, the lifeless body of English missionary Alan Gardner was found by a search party hidden in a boat in which he had taken refuge during his last days. He and his companions had been shipwrecked on Tierra del Fuego off the coast of South America. Eventually, their remaining provisions ran out and death came slowly but inevitably, to each of them. We know some of the thoughts of Alan Gardner during those days from letters that he left for his family and from entries in his personal journal, which was found next to his body. He was, he writes, at one stage, desperate for water. His pangs of thirst were almost intolerable. Far from loved ones, far from home, He died alone, weakened, broken. Hardly what one might think of as the end of a victorious Christian life. But despite the wretched conditions in which Mr. Gardner died, he seems to have experienced a new and deeper sense of God. In his weakness, he managed to pen one final entry into his journal, and it went this way. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. lay dying. No matter what shape or form they take, I want want you to know that God's blessings are certain. If We are forgetful and fruitful. Be forgetful of the past. Be forgetful of the future. Be fruitful in the present. And prosper under God, enjoying His blessings in abundance. Let me get us to do something concrete to remind us to be fruitful and to be forgetful. Would you do this with me, please? If you are wearing a wristwatch, would you please take it off and put it in your pocket or your purse for the rest of the day? Don't be late for lunch. (laughs) It's simply a token of forgetting our timetable, a symbol of our trust in God's timetable. So we put away our watches for the rest of the day. But what you're doing today is just practice. Here's what I really want you to do when you are in those dark days. And maybe you are in one right now. Every Sunday in your land of affliction, in your season of trouble, every Sunday when you are in those dark days, every Sunday in those seasons of tribulation, don't wear a wristwatch. Just that one day all week. Go on a watch fast as a concrete reminder that God's timetable is different from ours. We need to forget the past, forget the future, and be fruitful in the present. And when you come to church or sit in your Sunday school class, show show somebody your empty wrist and share with them what's going on in your dark days. Let, let, Let that be a marker of the fact that even though we're going through tough times, we're trusting God's timetable so that we can be forgetful and be fruitful. And that is the way to obtaining the certainty of God's blessings even in our dark days. That's the way to triumphing in trials. Be forgetful, be fruitful. Author Marshall Shelley who suffered the deaths of two of his children in their infancy, writes in Leadership Magazine. Even as a child, I loved to read. And I quickly learned that I would most likely be confused during the opening chapters of a novel. New characters were introduced, disparate, seemingly random events took place, subplots were complicated and didn't seem to make any sense in relation to the main But I learned to keep reading. Why? Because you know that the author, if he or she is any good, will weave them all together by the end of the book. Eventually, each element will become meaningful. At times, he writes, such faith has to be a conscious choice. Even when I can't explain why a chromosomal abnormality develops in my son, which prevents him from living on earth more than two minutes. Even when I can't fathom why our daughter has to endure two years of severe and profound retardation and continual seizures. I choose to trust that before the book closes, the author will make things clear. But until then, in those dark days, be loyal. Commit. Towards obtaining God's blessings. Be forgetful of time. What has happened in the past. And how it might turn out in the future. Be forgetful of time. Be fruitful in time. Living lives of loyal obedience now. Lives that glorify God in the present. Be forgetful. Be fruitful. And go on a watch Fast. Let's pray.